to week three of college football in week two of the NFL. On this episode, we're going to be recapping the week two Divi standouts from Saturday. And guess what, folks? We finally have some NFL action to break down. So we're going to do two rookie segments, a rookie round of applause, highlighting some week one standouts from the rookie ranks. And then we're going to wrap up this episode with the rookie panic meter. We're going to go in and see just how nervous we should be about some of these less than ideal rookie performances. So before we jump into segment one, want to make sure folks know they can head on over to patreon.com slash rookie big board, support the podcast, get access to the rankings, get access to the discord for as little as $1 a month. Now let's get into it. It was almost the story of the week. Quinn Ewers in his first major college start upsetting Alabama. We were so close to getting that storyline. Quinn Ewers 9 for 12, 134 passing yards before suffering a game-ending injury to his throwing shoulder. It looks like he's going to be out four to six weeks. Now, When I'm running through this slate of college games and NFL games, I need to be transparent. I didn't watch as many of these games yet as I normally would because I was actually watching some live college football action on Saturday and some live NFL action on Sunday. So I haven't gone in and watched Quinn Ewers' first quarter in the type of detail that I will. I have it recorded. It is on the list. It is at the top of the list. Because there was a lot of excitement surrounding Quinn Ewers. So for that reason, even though he got injured, even though he only played a quarter, he looked very good in one quarter against Alabama. And that is enough for the former five-star QB1 now at Texas to be a Debbie standout. I am looking forward to when he is back and healthy. It will be midseason, but I will not have forgotten about QB1 at Texas. How about the true... The true freshman, Nicholas Singleton, 10 for 179. 10 rushing attempts for 179 yards and two touchdowns. I don't care who Penn State was playing. All right? That is a huge stat line for the true freshman to have. 10 rushing attempts for 179 yards and two touchdowns. That is major. We didn't see a ton of Nick Singleton against West Virginia. We did see him rotated in. But now we're seeing the big play running back one potential. So Nick Singleton right now is the clear running back one in that 2025 draft class. And he has the potential to gain the type of value that Travion Henderson did last year, that B. John Robinson did the year before. Now, I'm not comparing their skill sets. I'm just talking about the values here. Nick Singleton is on the rise. It's probably too late. But if it's not, I would absolutely feel around and see if you can acquire him in your Debbie Leagues. Marvin Harrison Jr. I love it, man. These Ohio State wide receivers never fail in depth. 
All right, Egbuka had a really good week. We talked about him last week, but let's talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. The wide receiver three on this team normally had seven receptions for 184 yards and three touchdowns, 26.3 yards per receptions against Arkansas State. I don't care that it's Arkansas State. He averaged 26.3 yards per reception. You could do that against anybody. It's going to impress me. Marvin Harrison Jr. is stepping up here as they proceed with caution with Jackson Smith and Jigba, sit him out against a lesser opponent. It's still really, really impressive. Through two weeks, Marvin Harrison Jr., 12 receptions, 240 yards, and three touchdowns. He's technically the wide receiver three on this offense, but I'm getting to the point where there is no wide receiver three, there is no wide receiver one. There's just a trio of really talented wide receivers that, by the way, are just holding off a depth of other very talented wide receivers. Speaking of depth in competitions for action, how about J.J. McCarthy? Now the Michigan Wolverines QB1. He went 11 for 12, threw for 229 yards and three touchdowns in just the first half against Hawaii. This is how good J.J. McCarthy did. So if you're not familiar, Michigan broke down their quarterback competition. To Cade McNamara got to start week one. J.J. McCarthy got to start week two. J.J. McCarthy did so well in the first half against Hawaii that they actually brought in Cade McNamara to back him up to finish the blowout game because they knew J.J. McCarthy was going to be the starter. And immediately after the game, in the postgame presser, Jim Harbaugh acknowledges that it is, in fact, J.J. McCarthy that will be QB1 moving forward. You know what that tells me? He's willing to tell us that in the postgame presser. He already knew that he wanted it to be J.J. McCarthy, and it is a young, talented, sophomore quarterback, dual threat. Now, he is a true sophomore uh, quarterback because they did play him in a lot of games last year, so it's not a situation where because he was QB2, he took the red shirt. He is a true sophomore, and he is going to have the opportunity to be a major impact player. We have to be watching the J.J. McCarthy storyline closely over the course of this season. And somebody that you couldn't not watch was Caleb Williams. Carves up Stanford. 20 for 27. Completed 74% of his passes for 341 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, I just talked about Marvin Harrison played Arkansas State. J.J. McCarthy played Hawaii. Caleb Williams played Stanford. All right, this is a legitimate Pac-12 opponent here. It's one of the tougher opponents on the USC schedule. And you could take that fact in whatever direction you want. But nonetheless, Caleb Williams looked really impressed. And guess what? Of those 20 completions, seven of them went to Jordan Addison, another standout of the week for the USC Trojans. Seven receptions for 172 receiving yards, two touchdowns, 24.6 yards per reception. I you could just I could just watch Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison on replay again and again. It's a beautiful combination. And these two are just going to help prop each other's Debbie values up and up. Not that these guys aren't already risers, aren't, aren't already at the top of rankings. But still, we can't help but talk about Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams. Three more Debbie standouts from week two of college football. How about Marvin Mims versus Kent State? Seven for 163, 23.3 yards perception in two touchdowns I talked about wanting to see that production from Marvin Mims I was very happy with it how about Cedric Tillman this was the one I saw live traveled down to Pitt saw Tennessee come on into Pittsburgh and walk away with an exciting overtime victory 
Listen, the Vols' offense was a little slow to start, but Cedric Tillman really was that go-to guy for Hendon Hooker. He was named Offensive Player of the Week from the SEC. Nine receptions, 162 yards, one touchdown, 18 yards per reception. He is just an absolute playmaker. He has great body positioning. He stretches the field well. And I got to tell you, that 9 for 162, it really could have been even more. Hendon Hooker was locked in on Cedric Tillman. There were a couple close plays. There were a couple pass interference calls that stopped Cedric Tillman from going over the 200 mark. He's a dude. He's an absolute dude. Uh, I know the Reese Senior Bowl named him their uh, player of the week. He's jumping up draft boards. Do not be shocked if Cedric Tillman is a top 50 selection. I've been saying that, but I'm going to double down on it. And I'm going to double down on this guy. I know I talked about him on last week's episode, but this is what I'm hoping you pick up on out of the Devi standout segments, right? If you hear me talk about a guy once in week two... Uh, that's fine. You know, you definitely still want to know the name, but if I bring up the same guy week two, week three, week six, week eight, week 10, if I'm talking about the same player over the course of the season, it's not because I'm repeating myself. It's because when it comes to Devi, we need to look for value gained over time, right? A big spike at the beginning of the season is useless. If that value doesn't continue to build, you have to be consistently moving forward in Devi value and Raheem Sanders, the running back for Arkansas is the guy doing that right now. 24 rushing attempts for 156 yards and two touchdowns against South Carolina. So now Raheem Sanders has looked impressive through two games against Cincinnati and against South Carolina. These are legitimate opponents, folks. He's rushed 44 times for 273 yards. That's over six yards per carry average for two touchdowns. That's Raheem Sanders as a Devy standout this week. And those are the nine Devi standouts from week two. NFL football is back. It just feels different when you're sitting there on Sunday night, scrolling through all your scores, getting excited, getting disappointed, catching up on all the action, watching Red Zone. It's just a different feel, and it's back. It's fantastic. I love it. Let's go ahead and give a rookie round of applause. I have five rookies I'm going to highlight for having a quick impact in week one. Let's start with Jahan Dotson. Just three receptions for 40 yards, but man, he made the most of them. Two very nice touchdowns, including the one that sealed the W for Washington. It's clear that Carson Wentz has his eye on Jahan Dotson, and it's clear that if you, like me, have a high exposure to Jahan Dotson, I'm pretty sure I have 90-plus percent exposure to Jahan Dotson in my rookie drafts this offseason, you're feeling very good. All right, we're plugging in Jahan Dotson in our lineups right off the bat, no hesitations. And, hey, how about another guy? And, you know, I just talked about how I have high exposure to Jahan Dotson. I don't have as high of exposure to Kyle Phillips as I wish I did. I waited just a little bit too long to get him in a few leagues. You know, I had him ranked just below consensus. And it's biting me in the butt because he's looking good. And that's what it's about here on the rookie big board. Pivoting, adjusting, recognizing when your exposure is too low. Six receptions, no touchdowns, but he did pull in 66 yards. That's a really good day for Kyle Phillips. The usage was there. The targets were there. It's clear to me that Ryan Tannehill wants... Kyle Phillips to be a key part of this offense. It's clear to me that the Titans coaching staff want Kyle Phillips to be a key part of this offense. I'd be very excited if I had more Kyle Phillips exposure. And for those who went and drafted him, well done. Well done. And for those who didn't, this is the time of the year to to really test the trade waters. Don't overpay for Kyle Phillips, but if you could get some deals 
you know, get some offers out there, feel it around. I think Kyle Phillips is only going to go up in value. Now, I am going to give a rookie round of applause to Isaiah Pacheco, but I'm going to do it with a little caveat here because he did go 12 for 61. He did get that touchdown, one rushing touchdown, 62 yards on 12 attempts. Very good. And if you compare him to Jarek McKinnon and CEH on the ground, those two guys combined had 11 attempts for 64 yards. Here's the key, though. If this really did come after the game was already over for Kansas City. I mean, they came out to an early lead, dominated against Arizona. So when it comes to Isaiah Pacheco, yes, let's be excited. Because I do think even though it's in garbage time, this is going to be validating to the coaching staff who's already liked him, who already wanted to work him into a consistent rotation. But let's not move forward expecting that he's going to get more carries week in and week out than Jarek McKinnon and CEH combined. But if you stashed Isaiah Pacheco, uh, I think you're going to be very happy about it. I remember back in the rookie guide, uh, the 2022 rookie big board rookie guide, I said Pacheco had the type of, of traits that made him an interesting upside deep roster stash. And I hope you stashed him, or I hope you're going to put some money on the waiver wire to get Pacheco if you haven't already. If he's still sitting there on your waiver wire in your league, you got to fix that. Drake London, five receptions for 74 yards, no passing touchdowns. And I feel like this one kind of flew under the radar because he picked up a few of these uh, catches later on in the game. But this is a really encouraging stat line, and I'm purposely paying attention to Drake London here, even though it's not this, you know, wild stat line. He didn't pull in two touchdowns. You know, he didn't necessarily dominate uh, target share like Kyle Phillips did. But what he did do was exactly what we need him to do. He had five receptions for 74 yards. That's a very nice yards per reception. And if he had just gotten that touchdown, we would have been talking about him as a borderline wide receiver one. And that's who Drake London is. If he gets the touchdown week in and week out, then he's going to be a wide receiver one type guy on that week. And if he doesn't, he's still going to be a really solid play. You're getting 13 points out of Drake London in a PPR league this way. You get that touchdown, you're getting 19. So it's it's exciting for me. It's not the most exciting stat line, but we have to look past the initial you know, box score, fantasy points, and we need to look at what we're seeing. He led the way in receptions on the team. The next closest to him was four receptions. He had five. He led the way in receiving yards. He had 74. The next closest was 49. And it's not like the passing touchdowns were going to anybody else. Marcus Mariota threw zero passing touchdowns, which could cause for some concern. But what I'm saying, or what I'm seeing, is that Drake London is going to be the guy that gets those targets when they come. And they will come. One more here. A great example of it's not all about the box score, Garrett Wilson. This is the game I saw in person on Sunday. I was up in MetLife. I saw the the Jets taking on the Ravens. And I saw Garrett Wilson look springy. I mean, he went four for 52. He looked well when he caught the ball. It was a tough set of conditions to play under, right? So yeah, maybe he's not the most exciting for your fantasy box score yet. But it's very encouraging what I saw. It was pouring rain. So there were tough conditions. Playing against the Baltimore Ravens, one of the best secondaries in the NFL. And he had Joe Flacco at quarterback. And he still went 4 for 52. And he looked really good when he caught the ball. He looked athletic. He looked fluid. He was getting yards after the catch. I was very encouraged. So a rookie round of applause for Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Isaiah Pacheco, Kyle Phillips, and Jahan Dotson. Well done, gentlemen. (laughs) 
let's be honest, this is the segment that you tuned in for. It's the panic meter talk. Everybody's nervous about rookies. Do I adjust? Do I not adjust? Is it an overreaction? Is it an underreaction? What is going on with some of these guys that I spent the last six months being absolutely head over heels about? So I'm going to go scale of one to five here. Five is I'm panicking. One is I'm not panicking. And we're going to go through the rookie panic meter. Of course, we got to start with James Cook. On Thursday Night Football on the island, I talked about that this was a guy I thought I was going to have to pivot off of if he wasn't getting targets. And he didn't get targets. But he also really didn't get any action after he fumbled on his first carry. So here's my panic meter. It's a three. It's right in the middle. I can't ignore this. All right, he wasn't a priority in the offensive game plan enough to be looked past when he fumbled the ball. So let's see if he comes out week two, still gets touches, if he gets targets, if he's a part of the passing game. I'm a little bit nervous about James Cook, all right? I can't pretend I'm not. Now, thankfully, I didn't take James Cook much above second round, mid-second round rookie pick value, but I know there's some folks that took him as high as 109, 110, 111, and I'd be feeling pretty panicky if I took him at that spot. But you're on him. You're stuck with him. You've got to ride this out. And I do think it's going to get better. I think James Cook is going to be involved in this offense. Zach Moss didn't look good. They didn't want to feed the ball to Devin Singletary either. I don't think it's the type of, of game that the Bills are going to be in most weeks. I think it's going to be a little bit tighter. I think they're going to need to uh, be a little bit more balanced. I don't think they're going to be able to just write off James Cook in that same way. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't at least a little nervous about James Cook. Three out of five on the panic meter. Brees Hall, a one. I'm not sweating it. I know some folks are sweating it here. 23 rushing yards, not great. But he did have six receptions on 10 targets for 38 yards. This is not the Jets offense. All right, Joe Flacco is patchwork. I mean, he was dumping the ball off right at the line of scrimmage, lots of targets, just really getting the ball away. Because if he was holding onto it at all, the Ravens were getting to him, and they were getting to him, right? So this was not necessarily the offense that the Jets want to run. However, it is worth noting that Michael Carter did look good, and Michael Carter was the running back one. He was the priority. He started with the ball. And he has done nothing to suggest that he shouldn't be seriously involved in this offense. So... My one not sweating it is because I kept the Brees Hall hype in check relatively. I think he's going to be a running back too, a guy who consistently contributes. But this idea that he was going to perform at the same level of Najee Harris or DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor or some of these other top running backs from the past couple of years was completely misleading. It wasn't anything that was sold on this podcast. But what we do have is somebody who will find more volume, he'll find more consistent work, he'll be targeted out of the backfield, and when Zach Wilson comes back and this offense feels a little bit more natural, we're going to feel really confident plugging Brees Hall into our lineups. Next up is Damian Pierce. I tried to bury it a little bit, all right, I didn't want to come off hot, you know, talking Damian Pierce panic. And remember, on the last episode when I was previewing the storylines to watch this week, I said, if you had Damian Pierce, it might not go well. I told you that because it was the Indianapolis defense. Expectations were too high. It's week one. That being said, I still think the panic meter is a four out of five here. I mean, I think the Pierce panic meter is perfectly justified. 11 attempts for 33 yards, out-snapped and out-rushed by Rex Burkhead. 
I mean, out-snapped and out-rushed by Rex Burkhead, just three yards per carry. This is kind of the Damian Pierce that I saw on Florida tape. You know, we made a lot of justifications for why that wasn't the case, but he didn't look explosive. He didn't look dynamic. He's running behind an offensive line that doesn't do him any favors. I expect that it will get better for Damian Pierce. So like I said, it's not the time to, to trade him. You're stuck. You got to hold this value out and you got to hope that this is just an, a week one anomaly and it gets better from here. And I do think it will get better from here. The question is how much better. You know, I, I think Damian Pierce plays his way into more of a running back four, running back three type role. So running back 36 to 48 on the week, which is fine. That's fine if you took Damian Pierce in the late second, mid second round like you should have. Christian Watson is up next. I'm putting my panic meter on Christian Watson at a two. So on the lower end, listen, Christian Watson was always a raw prospect. He was always a developmental prospect. And the fact that Christian Watson with really no preseason preparation is out there and getting targets is evidence enough that Green Bay is confident and excited about him. Yes, I know he dropped that deep ball. That's unfortunate, but he did get open. He did create that separation. We did see that speed. And yeah, all of that is useless if he doesn't get his hands together. But I still think Green Bay is excited about Christian Watson. And I still think he's going to be a key piece of this Packers offense once Alan Lazard is back. Now, D-Chase from the Patreon Discord dropped some really good stats. Want to share it. Christian Watson played 66% of the snaps to Romeo Dubs' 57% of the snaps. So although he only went 2 for 34, D-Chase did very well to point out that Watson actually had more of the snaps despite all of the hype, all of the hype going to Romeo Dubs. Now I'm going to finish off the panic meter with a little round robin for the healthy scratches. I asked the Discord channel who they wanted me to talk about, and Bex brought up a really good point. He wanted me to talk about some of these healthy scratches. So we're going to do a round robin. Jalen Tolbert, healthy scratch for Dallas. That is a panic meter of 5 out of 5. That is a full-blown panic. That's bad, folks. Have you seen that Dallas wide receiver depth chart? list shows some really unimpressive names ahead of him. So for Jalen Tolbert to be a healthy scratch is very concerning. Isaiah Spiller, I'm putting him at a three, right in the middle, healthy scratch. I don't love that. I do think the Chargers recognized a need when they traded for Sony Michelle. They were going to prioritize having him active. I do think Isaiah Spiller will still work his way into being a legitimate part of this offense, but it is not a very encouraging start there. Tyler Algier for Atlanta, five. I've never believed in Tyler Algier, so I, that's why I'm putting it as a full-blown panic because... He hasn't worked his way. There was this weird idea that he was just going to walk into volume in the Atlanta offense. You know, heard him as a deep sleeper in a lot of spots. And, you know, everybody was kind of picking him out. He wasn't somebody whose tape I loved. He didn't look explosive. He didn't look dynamic. And I don't think Atlanta has seen much out of him or enough out of him to, you know, put him in at least in the early season. So maybe down the road he gets in later on this season and becomes more uh, consistent and more exciting, but right now, not so much. Uh, another guy who had a lot of overhype was was TDP, uh, Tyrion Davis-Price uh, out of San Francisco. He was a healthy scratch as well. Uh, the only reason I'm putting him as a three as opposed to Algier, who's a little bit more of a panic, is because I believe TDP will be active this week. At least I would think so. I have no insider sources, but with Elijah Mitchell out, you would hope at least that TDP is active this week. And if that is the case... 
then maybe we get the opportunity to get his hands on the ball and move forward here, and then he becomes a little bit more part of the rotation. But I don't have any Tyrion Davis price. I didn't even consider him, quite frankly, in rookie draft. So I don't feel any panic personally, but I would feel a little bit of nervousness if I was uh, having heavy exposure to TDP. And then Trey McBride, I'm going to give it a one. I'm not super concerned here. Obviously, I don't love it. But when it comes to rookie tight ends, we are more patient. We do give it a little bit more time. And I do think Trey McBride is going to be more involved in this offense as the season goes. So there you go. That's the rookie panic meter following up a rookie round of applause. And of course, we started out with those week two Devi standouts. If you have not already, make sure to head on over to patreon.com slash rookie big board. Check out what we've got going on here. Get in on the discord, get in on the rookie rankings, get in on all of the good stuff and support this podcast. As always, I appreciate you checking out this episode of the rookie big board.